the Mom Village podcast. We are three multicultural moms sharing our journey through motherhood with the Christ Center Foundation. For information and resources, visit us at our church's website at gofamilychurch.org. Or you can also email us at themomvillage at gofamilychurch.org. And please go over and follow us on Instagram at themomvillagefc. We're glad that you're here and welcome to our village. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Village. We are so happy that you're here with us. I'm one of your hosts, Jesus Maria Ramos, and I'm here with my ladies, like always, Kira Kelly. Hey, Village. And Kristen Scroggins. Hi, ladies. And we have an amazing episode. I'm excited about this episode because we're going to talk about finances, right, Kira? And yes. don't we, the Mom Village, need to know about finances? Oh, I mean, we don't goodness. need to know about finances. We, we only to go to Target. About- <laughs> yeah, right. How many times? <laughs> no, no, no. Just that, That's it. Just okay. one time. All right. A week. Hey, <laughs> Village, we have an amazing episode today. We have in the studio with us the Scalisi family. Woo-hoo. And for all of you up there in Jupiter, you know April and Steve. Scalisi, and they are here to help us start the year off right and give us some wisdom about stewarding well. And we just, you need to sit down with your paper and pen right now or your phone and get ready to take some notes. And we're just glad to have them in the studio. So Pastor Steve and April, please tell us about yourselves. Tell us about your family. Just yeah, tell us how everything. long you've been married. Everything. Yeah, what season of life All you're in. You sure. know, why are you qualified to be here? I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know that we're, well, April's always qualified. I don't know that I'm qualified. <laughs> But I'm Steve Scalisi. This is my wife, April. And you guys, I'm pointing to her like everybody can see her <laughs> because that's what I do. You know, I did radio for a long time and I always told people I had a face for radio. So it's it good. <laughs> but uh, so April and I have been married 26 years. And lesser known fact is the first time I ever met April, I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. Oh, yeah. true story. <laughs> true story. True story. story. So wow. it, it, it wasn't quite, it was actually a funny thing that we did and it was I told a friend of mine, I just broke up with this girl. She had, I was, it was a dumb relationship. You probably had dumb relationships somewhere in your life. And I stayed with her for like a year. I should have broke up with her like 364 days before. <laughs> sorry, girl, if you're listening. Yeah, sorry if you're listening. <laughs> and so I told my friend, I said, I have a friend from India and he was in an arranged marriage. I said, I think they've got it right. I think your parents should just pick somebody, forget dating, just meet a girl. You're Christians, figure it out. I said, next girl I meet, I'm going to ask her to marry me. April was literally the next girl. Now, <laughs> it was also my goofy way of flirting because she's cute. And I was like, oh, okay. And I told my friend I would do it, so I had to do it. And she actually said, yeah. She said, actually, she said, sure. And my friend said, I think he might be serious. So she said, well, maybe not yet. But that let me know she kind of got the joke. She got the goofy humor. And then, you know, we became friends and started dating. And April, then, he was that good looking? Come uh, on. Well, he was. Right. <laughs> she just thought I was funny. She thought I was funny. So, but anyways, so we've been married 26 years. We have three daughters and a son-in-law, which I love to say, but it's just weird still. It's they've weird only, been, yeah, they've yeah. only been married maybe five, almost six months and w- wonderful young man. But I'll let April talk about the girls and who they are. So our oldest is Hannah and she just turned 22 last mm-hmm. week and she is married to Jake and they are currently in Orlando finishing up school, but they are going to move back here, which I'm very excited yeah. about. <laughs> Um, once he's done. And then our middle one is Abby, and she's 19, and she is a musical theater major at Belmont University in Nashville. 
And that is a great place to visit. So we're not sad when we have to visit her up there. <laughs> and then our youngest is Emma, and she's 17, and she's a junior at the King's Academy. So we are actually close to being empty nesters. We have about a year and a semester left. <laughs> and then we will. Yeah, and Emma has a car, and she babysits a fair amount. So we're virtually empty, empty nesters. nesters. It's yeah. very <laughs> rare that the three of us have dinner together. Wow. Yeah. But it's okay. So what do you do for a living? What is your profession? Mm -hmm. So I'm a financial advisor and a pastor. So I'm a bivocational pastor. And April has recently taken on a position at the King's Academy as I, I believe the official title is events coordinator. I'm the creative and events director. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was director. I was close. You can tell I'm good with details. <laughs> That'll come out during this time. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, ladies, a lot of you already know the Scalises, but if you don't, I wish you could get to know them because they're just a great couple. They're so fun. They're some of mine and Jimmy's first friends when we were here in West Palm. And you know what's awesome about you two is a lot of things. But one of the things is that you are like-minded as far as your financial path goes. I don't know if you started out that way, but you have decided to become like-minded. And that's not always the case. Actually, I would venture to say rarely the case yeah. in couples yeah. unless it's on purpose. And so hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that as we delve into this area a little bit. But Pastor Steve, how did you get started in your finance career? Did yeah. you always know you wanted to do that? Yeah, kind of. So I was a big Family Ties fan. Alex Family P. Keaton. Ties, oh yeah. Alex P. Keaton was my guy. That was it. my guy. Okay, guys, if you don't know about that, go back and watch it. <laughs> Great show. It was good moral lessons and all that stuff. But I always knew I was good with numbers, good with math. I enjoyed money. And probably at that age, for sure, like every kid, like I just wanted to buy like Lamborghinis and I wanted to have all the trappings of the world. And got into high school, had an aptitude for it, went off to college, started out as an accounting major, then switched over to finance because accounting was too boring. But I know most people on the uh, on their listener are like, uh, finance is pretty boring too. But there is, <laughs> there is a subtle difference to it and I, I do enjoy it. And so and started working for a company in high school. I got laid off as a bus boy. I couldn't even make it as a bus boy. But, <laughs> Where uh, but, was this? But Where it, was this? It, it was a place, it, the, the restaurant does not exist, oh. which is, I think, you know, Apropos. Because, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was basic. It was, it was a place. It was, it was called De Caesars, the place for ribs. But in the summertime, things slow down here. And, and they said, Hey, you can come back in the fall. And I'm like, I kind of need to work this summer, man. And so I got a job. I had two opportunities, one at a travel agency and one at an investment firm. I interviewed at the investment firm. They hired me. So I never went to the travel agency. And in hindsight, think about the travel agency. <laughs> that's like a dying yes. business. Everybody yeah. just makes their own arrangements now online. Yeah. And, and Google. so then I just, I ended up working there for eight years through high wow. school wow. and through college, went to Palm Beach Atlantic, graduated and continued to work there and then felt a call to become a financial planner. I was working for an investment firm, but I wanted to be a planner and God orchestrated it. I met a guy at a Promise Keepers event way, way back in 1996 in Jacksonville Ooh. and um, sat next to this guy and for the two people out there that care about numbers, if you do the permutation, <laughs> the chances of us sitting in those seats were one in 3.2 billion. And it's just amazing. Just And so so I sit with next to him. We start a dialogue. And about a year later, I joined up with him and his firm. And then and I've been doing that ever since. So the last 23 years. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. So it seems to me that God has been orchestrating this for a A long long time. time. Yeah. Yeah, This is no like chance or anything. So tell us how and who handles the finances in your home. And I see April giving you like the eyes, like she's about (laughs) to smile, but we'll, we'll, we'll let you start. And maybe you can refer to her because she's smiling. I don't think I need to start. I mean, okay, April. go ahead, April. <laughs> cool. I feel like this is where maybe the detail <laughs> come into play. <laughs> okay, let me just preface this yes. by saying April is one of my favorite people on the planet. If I'm confused about anything, I call April because <laughs> she has a yes. spreadsheet for, for everything. everything. <laughs> and I'm not I even do. joking no, about it. Does. I do. And so she is the most organized person I've ever known. Okay, go. <laughs> so Steve, obviously, being the finance major that he was, started off handling the finances and then did not bounce the checkbook for a couple months. And that was driving me crazy. <laughs> like to me, I'm a so, nickel off. Yeah, it's fine. fine. It's a nickel. <laughs> but she finds the nickel. <laughs> so I She's um, the bank teller. Yes. yes. So I started... Well, obviously, when we handle the finances, we make financial decisions together. But as far as the day-to-day bill pay, checkbook balancing, what's in our account, where's the checkbook, that all falls. <laughs> what bank do I go what to? What bank do we go to? <laughs> that was our login. <laughs> I do handle the investments, by yes, the way. Okay, I do something. The <laughs> but the day-to-day details I handle. And I, we have. I've been doing that for probably... 20 or 25 years? Pretty much since we had kids. Yeah. So when Hannah was born, then you took that over. You you became a stay-at-home mom and you you took that on. And you just, you really are to this day. You're just better at managing that piece. Like I'll have ideas and things, but then, you know, you're really good about just, hey, this is where we're at. This is what we have. And and you you can find stuff like the spreadsheets, but you also download (laughs) everything. And I'm like, hey, we bought this thing three months ago. She's like, hold on. Boom, boom, boom. Here we go. Boom. I'm like, yeah, receipt. Details. All that kind of stuff. And and I write, you were talking about the checkbook, but what's the, uh, April's got a just a oh, funny story about we that. We have a account that we don't use very much, but we do have an account and we've had it a good oh, five to 10 years. I mean, we've had it a while. And maybe a month or two ago, Steve wrote a check out of it. Well, a week later, the bank called me to make sure that there was not fraud <laughs> because apparently my husband has not written one check out of the account <laughs> ever. <laughs> They just were making, they said, oh, we're just making sure, making sure. <laughs> Says here you have three daughters, why there's a guy here? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> making sure that this was not fraud because we, he's never written a check ever. But you know, these are important conversations to have, yeah. right? Because when Jimmy and I first got married, so you bring into your marriage what you've experienced. And what I experienced in my home was my mom Got money from my dad when she needed it. She didn't know where the checkbook was, didn't want to know where. It wasn't that he was like lording over her. This is how she preferred it. And he would just go here. So, you know, whatever amount of money for the week, just go have a good time or whatever. She's like, sweet. And he <laughs> he did all the other stuff. And then, so that was that. My dad was the guy. Well, the problem is in Jimmy's home, his mom was. And so I'm thinking he's going to take care of it. He's, he's thinking, thinking I'm going to take care of it. And we had a problem for a little bit. <laughs> and so having these conversations, like what are the expectations? Yeah. How can we use our gifts to get the most out of this financially so that we can be good stewards of our money, which is what y'all have done. You said, I take care of the investment piece because that's what you like to do. Mm-hmm. And you like to do spreadsheets and all kinds of good stuff <laughs> like that. Records. So keep it just records. works together. I think that's really important. So we have a varied audience listening. There is probably some young marrieds with kids, some with some that don't have kids yet. 
So give us, what is some wisdom or advice that you can share with families that are in the early stages of their marriage? I mean, we're just hitting on that. What can they do to build a good financial portfolio in their home? Or what are some of the things they should be doing and preparing for as they plan for a family possibly? Yeah, great question. I do want to refer back to something Kristen mentioned. So when we got married, April did say, hey, why don't we split the responsibilities? That was a pretty good idea. So she took the checkbook and she handed me the deposit slips and she kept the checks. So (laughs) you make the money, I'll spend it. I I like it, April. I I like it. Good plan. That seemed like a fair deal at the time, right? (laughs) But, you know, as far as like little kids, I mean, a couple of things. So one thing we talk about, and I'll talk to clients about stuff, and and April and I have had this discussion and we've talked to a few younger families is, Hey, the decision between, hey, do you have allowance or do you pay for chores and difference? We kind of did a hybrid. So we gave the kids an allowance. And the reason we did the allowance is we wanted to teach them principles early on, starting at five years old. And so we would literally give them a dollar and we would give them 10 dimes. And we told them what we wanted them to do. They had a little Larry Burkett bank from like (laughs) Crown Financial. And we wanted them to get in the habit of giving 10 cents to the Lord, saving 10 cents, and then putting 80 cents into the spending account. Now, we always told them you can give more and you can save more, but you can't spend more. And so we started doing that. And one of the ancillary benefits was when you would go to Target or take them to the store, the kids are always saying, mom, can I have this? Dad, can I have this? Mom, can I have? And so, you know, no, 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 no. Eventually you say yes to something. But what she started doing was saying, hey, I don't know. Do you have enough money in your account? And they started saving their money to buy (laughs) these toys and trinkets and things like that. Mm. And it was amazing how little they needed these things. (laughs) When they were having to actually shell out their, their own money. Most yeah. of the times they just decided that they They're didn't like, need it. Never yeah. mind. Yeah. It's not yeah. an emergency. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> and then as they got older, at six years old, then we went to $2. And then we went to 4 I started doubling it. Then it went to 8 And I was like, I said to April, I was like, well, we're going to have to slow this down. <laughs> so then we went to 10 12 14 so on and so forth, You know, each year as they got older. But we also would increase their expectations of what they had to handle. That was one of April's ideas. So like, you have to start buying your sister's gifts. Okay, that's going to cut. So you have to budget for that and figure that out. So that was around probably age nine or 10. And then it was, hey, you have to start buying your friend's gifts. Because you know how that is. You're taking yep. yeah. oh, birthday parties. Like, yes. I mean, you make it back if you have a birthday party, kind of. But you got to, it depends what the birthday party costs. But, you know, you, you bring like 20 kids to your party, you get like 20 gifts. But then during the year, you're going to like 20 parties and you're doling out. So it probably evens out. But I thought that was one of the, that idea of increasing their responsibilities. That was one of the things you implemented. I I like that a lot. Right. I think that's something we did do is we did not tie allowances with chores, mostly because as detail oriented as I am, I did have three children that were all very close together Mm -hmm. and I just didn't have the mental capacity to keep track of who did what (laughs) and who wrote down what and stuff like that. So I mostly did it because it was just easier on me to not have to remember who did what tour and did I pay them and et cetera, et cetera. So we said, A, you are a privilege of being in this family is you get an allowance. That's just a privilege that comes with being in this family along with other things. But just like mom and dad have responsibilities, so do you for being part of this family. And that's just an expectation we have. So they had different responsibilities. So obviously our oldest, one of her responsibilities was she had to babysat once she got old enough. Now, obviously, our youngest never had to babysit for anybody for being part of our family. But we didn't pay our oldest. She did get an allowance, privilege. She also babysat. 
responsibility for being part of this family. So we just tied it that way. Um, that was, I believe I read it in a book by Dr. Kevin Lehman, and that was an idea he had. And I was like, that is a genius, genius. idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we did. And it worked well because we were able to constantly tie in responsibility, privilege. You don't want to do that chore. That's fine. But when we don't want to do a chore, we have to pay somebody. Yeah. So, so do you. So that because yeah, when, when, when you get old and go to college, nobody's going to pay you for cleaning that toilet. So you <laughs> no, got to be right. responsible. Right. And, and that's a good it. point. You know, sometimes my older boys will like it's cost benefit analysis, right? So they'll be real busy. And Jimmy's like, you need to clean that car. And they'll be like, Caleb, want to make 10 bucks? <laughs> yeah. They used to be like, want to make $2? I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> no, 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 no. You pay what's fair. So we had, I think our goals were little. Hannah was maybe seven or eight and Abby was five just getting an allowance and we we're driving home and I said, okay, you know, when we get home, everybody, you know, you two need to clean out the dishwasher and they split it and each one did a top, one did bottom, whatever. So Abby said, I don't want to blah, blah, blah. So I had just read this. So I said, put it into practice. So I said, it's okay. When I don't want to do something, I pay somebody to do it. So you can pay somebody to do it. So she turned to her sister and said, Hannah, I'll pay you. And Hannah said, all right, pay me a dollar. And Abby said, okay, done. So we go home and Abby says, Hannah, let's play. And Abby said, I can't. I have to clean out the dishwasher. And Abby said, I'll help you. And I thought, well, this did not work at all because she paid her sister a dollar and she's still doing <laughs> the chore. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. So the next day, a couple of days later, I said, all right, guys, time to clean out the dishwasher. Abby said, I don't have to. I said, why not? She said, because I paid Hannah a dollar. I said, oh, no, no, friend. <laughs> you yeah. paid her a dollar one, one time. <laughs> you have to pay her a dollar every time. She said, I'll clean out the dishwasher. <laughs> so it did work. Yeah. It just took a couple times for the same day. But. So you just share like with younger ones. How about like couples that have older ones in their 30s or 40s or even older or adults, you know? Yeah, like what should couples in the, that yeah. age range, what should they be doing to even secure their finances? Even if they don't have kids, let's just say like couples, how to, any good advice, even One, retires or singles. I think for especially for people just starting out that they're probably both working. They don't have kids yet. My advice would be to live on, try to live on one income as much as possible and put that that other income away, preferably the one who will probably maybe going to be staying home or working part-time or maybe not working as much. So that way, if you do get to a point where you decide, you know what, I don't want to work. I, we have a baby now. We have a family. I want to stay home. You don't miss that other income. Plus That's you have good. savings yeah. that you've kind of built up along the way as well. So that would be something I would suggest. To How do. about for those that are singles and they're starting and you know, when you're single, you think you have all the money in the world, you don't have to, the, nobody depends on you. So oh, everything you do is for you. Like what's a word of encouragement? Can you start saying, Hey, you're single. This is the perfect time to start doing this. this. Sure. Prepare. So the, it's the same principle we taught the kids. Yeah. Give 10, save 10, live on the rest. Love it. And again, you can give more and save more. And you should if you can, mm -hmm. but those should be the bare minimums. Give 10, save 10. And we always say give first. We're saying to the Lord, Lord, we're trusting you with less. We're trusting your provision. We're going to give from our first fruits, right? It's a proverb. It's a great proverb. But I'm saying, Lord, I want to give to you. And I'm going to trust you to expand whatever I've got left. Mm. And then always save something. And all that, when we were talking about saving, I'm not talking about, hey, I'm saving for a new shirt. Yeah. That's in your normal everyday living expenses. I'm talking about putting something away for retirement. There's an interesting thing. If you, it's all relative to your income. 
But if you save 10% of your income, get out of school, high school, college, whatever, you start saving 10%, you put it away, you'll have enough money in retirement. And you won't have to save that much money because you're building up over a long period of time. You're allowing that compound interest to work in your favor. And if you just do that, and what's so cool is you can do that. And then you just don't have to get crazy with savings. Sometimes I'll meet somebody and they're 50 years old and they haven't saved anything. I'm like, well, we can do it, but you're going to probably have to save like half your paycheck to make this work. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that principle. Like we're hoping, and so far, the first two seem to get it. And I think our youngest gets it too. But that whole idea of giving first and saving second, it really does work. It works for kids. It works for teenagers. It works for young 20s. It works for retired people. It is just a simple, simple principle. That's why we teach it at our church all the time. And it works for yourself because it's teaching you like not to think of yourself. That's right. And we always go to ourself and self is the root you know, of sin in our lives. So it's kind of shifts our minds and how we manage not only money, but our lives. That's right. Yeah. It's not all about yourself. Let's think of others. You'll see. And it's actually what you just said, putting your life in God's hand and not yours. And that's something that everyone struggles with. And it's so hard because it's all very self-centered. I work hard. I deserve it. I'm going to go spend it. I work hard. I deserve it. I go do this and that. And then what stewards of money are you being by not, you know, giving to others? That's right. I find people who do that are also better budgeters. So you just learn to live within those means and and really below your means. And it can seem restrictive, but there's a concept, and and it's really smart people who study children. They did this study, and and April describes it better. So just correct me when I don't get the details. (laughs) I don't get the details right. But they took these kids and they put them in a big field and, you know, like a playground. There were no fences, there were no borders. Well, the kids still huddled in the middle of the field because they didn't know whatever the middle is, right? Because there's no fences, but they just huddled together because there was nowhere. When they put the boundaries up, now the kids went all the way to the edge of the boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? We know our kids do this, right? They go to the edge (laughs) in in life and everything. But it actually was healthy for them. They knew how far they could go. And so they actually, in a weird way, had more freedom. And so the same thing happens with our finances. You don't have to sit there and always wonder, can I afford this? Can I afford this? Because you know if you can. And then, and it's funny, but you just make better decisions. You make more frugal decisions. You make better stewardship decisions by having those boundaries in place. So at first it can seem restrictive, but it's actually very freeing to you. And so that's what we found that to be the case as well. I feel like Pastor Steve is like preaching towards (laughs) moms with toddlers because that's the way we kind of guide our toddlers where moms are listening. You understand, you know, like kids need boundaries. They need rules. They feel safe. And they, when you have rules, boundaries, you know, when you have a schedule. So it's the same thing. Like Pastor Steve is saying it with finances. Yeah. Some moms need boundaries at Target. (laughs) <laughs> we do, we do, we do, but we're not, we're not going to go there. Raise Amen, sister. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know what happens, too? Again, I'm going to preach about having conversations about this. And for some reason, we don't like having conversations about finances. <laughs> and I'm like over here like, oh, like, listen, I'm like sinking down my seat. And Jimmy's <laughs> like, I bet Jimmy will listen to this and be like, I told you. But so for a long time, I thought like I was the generous one. And I do have a generous spirit. Like I want to give you, you want some, I'm going to give you some. You What do you need? I, I'm going to take care of you. But didn't have the mental boundaries that I should have as when I was younger. And so every time I would go, Jimmy, I think we need to help these people. He'd be like, mm. and I'm thinking. Why is he generous? <laughs> but seriously, I was are you getting a pastor? All like, are you yeah, a yeah, pastor? You need to help people. <laughs> but what was happening was he was a little frantic on the inside because I wasn't doing a good job 
having those boundaries. And so, yeah, I wanted to be generous with you when you needed it, but I always wanted to be generous with me too. And you can't always be generous with everybody, including yourself on a fixed income with one income. income, I'm a stay at home mom. And so it's what I realized as we implemented budget and we spent that time having those boundaries. He is a very generous person. He wants to help everybody too, but he just wants us to be able to eat when we retire, you know, so (laughs) having those conversations is really important. But Scalise family, what financial advice would you give to your younger self, knowing what you know now? Well, April came into the marriage, so she had great training. Her dad is like, I mean, he set me up really, really well. So so you were talking before, Kristen, about like how your childhood experience really drives who you become in the marriage. So you thought Jimmy would handle it. Jimmy thought you'd handle it. Well, we came into the marriage and man, I had $20,000 in student loans. I had a car loan of like $8,000. This is, you know, 26 years ago. April comes into the marriage with a paid for car, no (laughs) debt. So we spent the first three years paying off my debt. I mean, now, of course, it's our Our debt. 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 (laughs) But it really was, it really was, it was my debt. And I felt horrible about that. So I would have been more stringent. I would have been, I had a job in college. I paid for my tuition. I paid my own way, but I made I don't remember, like thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars a year in school at the time was like two or three thousand bucks. And I lived at home. So like I totally could have saved more money. But man, I just I don't know, man. I just I wanted new Nikes. You know, I wanted I wanted all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, they're loaning me money. I mean, isn't this great? The the government is giving me student loans. I had twenty thousand in student loans. School cost me like twelve grand. <laughs> <laughs> What's just, how many Nikes did you pay for those Nikes? Like, seriously, seriously, like I don't know how that math worked out, but you know, because and so I would say just be super careful with debt and credit. April really came in with a great mindset, and your parents had taught you really, really well in that area. Like your parents didn't have debt. I mean, not other no. than maybe a mortgage. Yeah, my parents basically just had a mortgage, and I can remember my telling my mom, you know, we'd go somewhere, and she'd be like, "Oh, we're not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get that. We don't have the money, or." Or I'm mostly like, we're just not going to get that because I'm not going to pay for that or whatever. And we would say, well, we'll just write a check or just put it on yeah. the credit yeah. card because <laughs> you're kids and you just think like that's magic. <laughs> and she would always say, so she always did a good job explaining to us, well, when I pay for that, when I write a check, I have to make sure I have money in the checking account. When I put it on the credit card, I have to pay it off. And so, and that's something that I do with our girls too. So they, because they need to understand it's not just a magic card. Yeah. And why? Because they go off to college and then they can get a free Snickers if they have a credit card, if they sign up for a credit card. <laughs> right. So you need them to understand that. Yeah, teaching them the what trans- that credit card actually means. The transparency of the reality of finances. Right, exactly. So, so yeah. let me ask you really quick for people that are retired, like, what's a good advice? Like, they're like, or they're ready to get retired. Like, what can you tell them? Be like, okay, don't wait until you're ready to retire to start doing this. Or if you already started doing these steps, like what's something you can help our? Yeah, sure. So if you're, you know, again, it goes back to you start early, but if you didn't start early, still all the same principles come to play. So you say, how much money do you need to live on every month? Now, theoretically, in retirement, the kids are grown. You know, you might spoil the grandkids a little bit, but you know, hopefully your house is paid for that. By the way, paying off all your debt before you retire is a huge, huge deal mm-hmm. because then the amount of money, you'd be amazed at how little you could live on if you didn't have kids at home, feed those little scudders. I mean, they're great. They're <laughs> awesome. They're expensive as all get out. 
And then not having car payments and house payments and all that kind of stuff. So here in South Florida, you can live. You guys aren't going to believe me when I say this. You can live on 3000 bucks a month. If you didn't owe anybody any money, you didn't have any kids. If it's just the two of us, we'd live a great life on three grand a month. We'd have, we'd have air conditioning. We'd have gas in the car. We'd eat. It would be great. That's in South Florida, which is kind of a higher you know, area to live in. But as far as so really it's trying to figure out as you're planning for retirement, what's the amount of money we could live on? Now, you may not want to live on just 3000 because that's just the bare minimum. You say, hey, I want to travel a little bit. I do want to spoil the grandkids. I want to do some of these things. So maybe you need $5,000 a month. So what we do is we just say, all right, that's our number. How do we get there? Well, you're going to get some social security. You can figure out what they'll give you. And then also, then you figure out, all right, I need another couple thousand dollars a month. Good rule of thumb is you have a lump sum of money. You can take about 4% of that every year and not worry about running out of money. I mean, there's some idiosyncrasies of that, but that's pretty accurate. So for example, you say, man, I need another $2,000 a month, which would be $24,000 a year. You should have about $600,000 socked away to produce that amount of money for you over your retirement. So it's just kind of a good rule of thumb. But So we didn't have this question on the paper, but now that you're explaining more detail, what about for a single mom? Because mm-hmm. we have a lot of single moms in our audience and, and they're like, you know, I don't have the benefit or the pleasure of having somebody that can help me out while, you know, while I work or he works and I can save and not save. Like, what's something that you guys can share with our single moms and be like, okay, it might be more difficult for you because you have to do everything, but maybe somebody can help you out like or find a finance guy. Like what's something, at least a, three simple steps that they, a single mom can do. Yeah. I think start saving now, even if it's a little bit, just get in the habit. So we, the goal is 10, 10, 80, right? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe for you saving 2% is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Save 2%. Next year, save 3%. Next year, save 4 And just kind of build it up a little bit over time. Keep in mind, too, that people are living longer. So a lot of them are working longer, too. So you can always work longer and say, hey, I may retire at 65, but I'm going to work part-time for another five or 10 years. I mean, we're so vibrant now. I mean, I remember like my grandparents being in their late 60s, and they literally just sat around. Like, they didn't sit on a proverbial rocking chair, but virtually (laughs) did. And now I like... I don't know. I don't know anybody who's in their 70s that does that. They're all mm-hmm. like running around and showing up at stuff and they're active. So do consider that it may be something that you do is you say, hey, I'm going to work a little longer on that back end to help me to you know make that retirement goal. And then, hey, treat your kids well because you know, they're going to pick <laughs> your retirement home. So you better be nice to them. No. <laughs> okay, so much great information. And we're going to keep talking to this Khaleesi's guys. I know there's a lot of topics. You're like, wait a second. They didn't talk about this. They didn't talk about that. I know. I know. We have part two. So ladies, stick around and gentlemen to part two because we have more questions for the Khaleesi's. And yes, we'll talk about cryptocurrency and all those all awesome. Investing yes, and all the good stuff. All the good stuff but part two. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for tuning with us and check out part two. This has been the Mom Village and we're going to say goodbye. Ready? Ladies and gentlemen. One, two, three. Bye. Bye.